got one man up and Jonathan Joseph comes straight through the middle. Got Mike Brown to beat as the last line of a defence and here goes Joseph. Joseph's going to get over. Watson goes on the outside. Oh, Watson goes Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans, for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gable and I'm joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan, Tom. Tom? Uh, uh, mate, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, <laughs> a win over um, our, our, our biggest rival, some would argue, on Saturday. We should be in jubilant spirits. Are we? Yeah, I'm not quite sure whether it was uh, you know the couple of uh, couple of beers that we maybe both had after after that particular win, um, and maybe still feeling a little bit dusty, or or potentially just the manner um, of the performance, G. But I'll, I'll you know I'll let you you kick it off. You know, so many occasions we're we're positive about the performance, um, we look okay in patches, but ultimately we fall short, and ultimately it is all about the the result, and we got the result against, as you say, our arch rivals Leicester, but. Um, felt a little bit of a, a hollow victory in some ways, I think. Yeah, I think it was hollow because it just kind of highlighted how far these two actually great clubs had fallen in, in the last few years. The fact that it wasn't on television for, for, for starters, wasn't on BT Sport, completely mm. fair enough. They went with the Bristol-Gloucester game and, and, and you probably couldn't argue with them and you certainly wouldn't be able to argue with them having watched the, the Bath-Leicester game. and Just the... The lack of quality at times in that game, and uh, you know, potentially there were reasons for that, which we will come on to. But just the general lack of quality, to say the the countless errors in the game, and 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 just you know, almost almost club rugby esque mm. patch passages of play, kind of really made it feel like although we did win, we're probably not going anywhere. How, how I was going to say, how was the how was the match day experience? How was the how was the day out itself? I um yeah I couldn't make it on the day. Managed to managed to watch it on on TV, and the atmosphere seemed um a little bit a little bit flat to be honest. As as did the players, but um yeah how was how was it on the rec at the rec on Saturday? Yeah, so I was there with um you know friend of the podcast Andrew, who who's been the guest over the last couple of weeks. He's um still too hungover to make it for this uh, <laughs> podcast. Late at work's the excuse, but I don't actually think he's gone in. Um, but yeah, it was good. I mean. Before and after the game, as always at, at the rec, it was fantastic. Uh, we were in the swift half, uh, swift half after the game, um, which was great. A live band, um, fabulous atmosphere. But as you say, the, the actual atmosphere during the game was quite flat, and I think the the level of rugby kind of made that atmosphere quite flat because I, I guess. With it being a, a, a derby, there was kind of an anticipation before the game, but I think that quickly diminished when 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 supporters realised just what a a tough task it probably was going to be to watch the rest of the game. So um, yeah, and the atmosphere at the end was was weird because you didn't really know what whether to to laugh or cry because as as we've touched on there, it was a win, but a few positives to take and there have been defeats this season where I guess there have probably been more positives to take so um, yeah strange atmosphere uh, as I say but well, I, I think that's... Say, it's funny you say that because you know you um, you clearly enjoyed the, the, the Premiership Rugby okay. experience so much that um, you tried to make a quick yeah. dash down to uh, down to Sandy Park to, to catch the end of the well, catch the end of the Exeter Sale game didn't you do you want to <laughs> do you want to tell the no. do you want to tell the millions of listeners about your uh, about your post-match match experience down in Exeter no I do not want to tell uh, the listeners about my post-match experience in Exeter yeah don't fall asleep on the last train home <laughs> would be uh, the thing to take from this podcast if you're going to take anything but uh yeah, less said about uh, my Saturday night, probably the better, Tom. Uh, all right, um, <laughs> shall but, we move on? Yeah, let's move on, please. Uh, and let's focus in uh, on the details of the game. Um, and it was an excellent start yeah. by Bath. And I, and I guess kind of it wasn't a sign of things to come, but, but a great move, capitalised on some uh, Leicester errors and, and scored in the corner. Uh, one of the few times we got it wide and, and Tommy Homer crashing over in the corner for his first try of the game. Yeah, it looked really easy and um, 
Uh, and, and it should have been really, you know, a few powerful carries as we've seen um, throughout the season, really sucked in defenders. Um, I thought Leicester started very, very cold. Mm. Um, you know, we, I think it was the case with both teams, really, but they really have the, the core of their team um, ripped out from them, really. I think when they're missing those um, those five England guys, so Genge, Ford, Youngs, Tuolangi and, and May, I mean, they are their quality players um, and they're key to that side. They had a lot of young guys in there um, and yeah, it, lo- it looked really easy and we took the opportunity really, really well um, to score in the in the third minute. Very unbath like to be honest, scoring <laughs> scoring early on, mm. um, scoring at all really these days, but mm. um, to, to get the try and, and move ahead. Um, yeah, brilliant start, G. Yeah, I think that that's the key. And Cook, a really nice half break kind of from the scrum. And then the patience shown, I think, by Cook and by Priestland, who was the, the, the fly-off on at the time, to, to, to keep it in the forwards. I think two carries in particular, one from Abano when he kind of made a few extra yards on the floor, and then one from Stuke where he charged in on a hard line to, to sort of rejuvenate the momentum in the move, which had started to break down. And then two or three really nice passes, I exploited a narrow Leicester defence, as you say, Tom. And yeah, really nice try and a, 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 a positive sign, I guess. And and yeah, as I say, not really a sign of things to come. But um, well, no, I think we should say as well that you know um, there are a couple of things, Judy. You know, you mentioned that I think were mitigating factors in mm. terms of the performance, um, and were certainly disruptive as well. So Roy McConaughey, um, yeah. you know, he would have been absolutely uh, buzzing to get out there and, and prove Eddie Jones wrong after after missing out. Um, uh, for, for selection in the EPS uh, for the Six Nations, um, he pulled up with a um, with a hamstring injury, I think, in the warm up. Um, and you know, being a winger, explosive player as he is, they just didn't want to risk that quite rightly. So Ali Brew, who was actually sat up in the commentary box, mm. um, ready to uh, commentate on the game for for BBC, um, he came down straight into the changing room, changed, and was <laughs> um, was on the field. And um, you know, Ali Brew, we've said it so many times, his enthusiasm um, coming in, he looked, um, to be honest, one of the sharper players on the field for the first um, eighteen or so minutes that he was on the pitch. But so for him to come in late. Um, was disruptive um, and then I think another another key moment but potentially um, a turning point for the better as it turned out um, was that Alibrew then took the knock to the, the head uh, mm-hmm. went off and, and was replaced by Freddie Burns with with then Tom Homer shifting across to, to, to the wing position and to be honest with you I think um, that was quite a pivotal moment because um, I think Burns had um, a very very strong game from from fullback and um, he was one of the, 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 you know, the stand up players on the pitch um, against his old club, obviously, with with probably something to prove, um, um, and I think his sort of calm head towards the end, um, yeah. playing territory, um, kicking um, very very intelligently. Um, I think that was, um, to be honest, key um, to to the reason that we came out on the right side of what was a what was a close game. Yeah, I think he certainly grew into the game and. The, the last 10 minutes, last 15 minutes, yeah. I would say, were definitely his and maybe even Bath's strongest period of the game. And you're right, he was influential in that. And, and Tom Homer moving to the wing, he was just as effective there as he has been at fullback this season, gathering the, the countless kicks that, that Leicester put up on him and also just running running balls back and his, his, uh, his positioning on the wing, having played a lot of rugby at fullback, is fantastic. So, yeah, I think that combination luckily worked out quite well because it was probably plan B, plan C time for Stuart Hooper and the coaches with, as you say, McConaughey and then Brew going off. Um, I should just say, actually, before we go any further in this game. We are going to break down this game in, in detail as we're doing. We're also going to touch on that England squad you mentioned, Tom. Uh, there's a few rumours around players, around coaches, mm. for the blue, black and white, so we're going to come on to that. Breaking rumours every week. <laughs> yeah, break a few more rumours. Um, loads of other stuff off the field to come later on the podcast, so stick around for that. Uh, but let's get back into the game, Tom. And I guess after that initial bright moment from Bath, the, the first half took a pretty turgid feel to it and there was just so much kicking from both sides and 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 that can sometimes lead to to reasonably exciting games because because teams then can counter-attack off them or or, or gain good field possession but the, the kicking was of such bad quality that it meant that neither team could get any sort of territory neither team could get any sort of foothold in the game and I'm just thinking a few examples there was box kicks which either went far too long 
far too short. And this is from both sides. Priestham went for a, about a 10-metre cross kick to Rocco Laguni, which he just missed by mm. and, and kicked it straight out. And the, just the lack of quality from kicking. It was an obvious tactic from both sides to kick, to gain territory, uh, and to squeeze the mistakes out of the other team. But but neither team was able to do that because of the, 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 the lack of quality. Yeah, I think it was the story of mm. uh, two teams, very low on confidence, um, you know, missing... Um, I think 11 players um, sort of to international duty um, mm. between them um, and a team who were really bereft of, of any ideas as well in attack. Yeah. And I think, and you're absolutely right, it was a, it was, it was a tactic of, of both sides on, um, again, what was quite a, um, a turgid pitch and a, um, and a boggy and, and, and to be honest, um, not, not, the best, um, not the best pitch for rubbing. I let's think talk, it was a, well, go on then. Let's talk about this, Tom, because, you know, we, we went to social media today at Bath Rugby Plug on Twitter and I kind of said, what do you want us to talk about on the podcast? And a number of people came back and said, talk about the pitch and the effect the pitch is having on, on Bart's inability to, to, score, to score tries. But can you, Tom, put it down to, to the pitch? Is it having that much of an effect on, on our performance? It, it, I don't think it helps, but I also think it's um, potentially looking for, for an excuse because there are times when we're not even... Um, we're not even really trying. We're sort of giving. We're not sorry. We're not trying, but we're not trying anything um, particularly inventive. Mm. Like you say, there were so many times when we got down into that twenty-two um, aimless kicks away. Whenever we get the penalty advantage, I've said this before, but suddenly um, whoever's on the ball thinks that they, you know, just try and throw a million-dollar pass or go for a cross kick um, or something sort of um, in the middle of the, you know, off straight off first phase. There's no need for it. You can um, take your time with those penalty advantages. You can take your time when in. 22 and just back your skills um, uh, to, to you know to, to, to earn you those points but I do think the pitch is a real issue um, it's certainly watching all the sort of premiership and European rugby that, mm. that we both do um, I think it's really probably the worst quality pitch um, in premiership and, and top flight European rugby yeah. I think neutrals who come um, definitely sort of make that point and, and you know pundits that watch games all around the country as well make that point um, obviously it's a very very difficult job from um, from from a groundsman perspective being right on a floodplain um, and I was listening to quite an interesting uh, interview actually with, with Tarquin McDonald who obviously is the CEO of the club and he was saying that it's, it's a massive priority at this point in time and and you know um, I think next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about stadium for Bath in a bit more detail because there's been progress on that front but um, two of the main um, sort of points about that would be to raise the playing field by that three meters, and um, obviously to get it off that that floodplain, um, and also to um, actually change the the the, the, the material. So the um, from instead of being grass, it'll be sort of that half grass, mm. um, but stitched in fiber that they've the got hybrid, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that they've um, they've got round European clubs and um, sort of a halfway house between just astroturf and and grass. So I think those factors would contribute to. Um, to, to a better playing conditions and also probably um, a, a better spectacle to be honest but I also think um, probably the bigger issue and the more fundamental issue um, is that it was just a, um, you know there were two clubs low on confidence um, and, and low on ideas yeah I'll be honest Tom I'm not sure how much I buy into the pitch as as being a reason for the lack of quality and the lack of inventiveness in attack and, and I agree that the pitch is is probably not up to the standard of, of, of almost every other club in Europe but if it is going to have a material effect on, on, on the game I would have thought that would come at scrum time and I just don't think I think maybe on Saturday it might have had an effect on it but I think the scrum's been been one of our, our most dominant uh, attributes this season uh, as a team and I think we've we, we've had no problems in pushing teams back and you need to have the, the the stability in the pitch to do that and I just don't think you can I think I just think it's an easy excuse to make Tom that say oh the pitch is a little bit wet so so we can't score tries well I don't necessarily buy that to be honest I, I I think that you should be able to overcome that as, as, a, as a high quality rugby team. And I just think that you're kind of clutching at straws to suggest that that is the reason. And I guess time will tell when we go to, to, to Allianz Park, Tom, uh, where we'll have no excuses. Last game of the season. Yeah, we'll have no excuses about the pitch. Then, uh, you know, if we score six tries at Allianz Park, Tom, then fine. <laughs> I'm wrong. It's all been the pitch. I think there might be six tries when we play at <laughs> Allianz Park, but it might not be. They might not be Bath Bath tries. I, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, we both played on rugby pitches where um, you know it may not be wet, but the grass is so soft that you do feel like you're kind of running on a beach almost. Mm. Um, at times, your boots get really clogged up, and I, I think um, 
you know, I think you make a good point on the set piece thing because if it was really bad, we wouldn't be getting any traction at all. Um, I think that was the other point that McDonald made as well that we want to build our our team and our strengths clearly around the set piece, mm. um, and having a high quality pitch is is, is is crucial for that. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there are bigger issues, but I think it doesn't look great um, from um, you know just from a, a rugby a bath rugby looking outwards trying to attract people when um, you know you basically got a bog at uh, uh, Shrek Swamp as we said at one end of the <laughs> at one end of the pitch. Yeah, I, in all seriousness, I think when we play Worcester on their artificial in a couple of weeks, Tom, yeah. uh, that might be a good, good, good sort of gauge of whether the pitch is having a material impact. So uh, I guess wait and see with that one. Um, do we want to talk any more about the first half, Tom? Well, I think I think if we wanted to go through each individual error, we we'd be here for for a week and a half. So I don't think. I, I really want to do that. It was just the, the, the first half was just littered with errors. And, and for me, it was just summed up by the last sort of 90 seconds to two minutes of that first half. And if you didn't want it to watch any of the other rugby, watch the first five minutes, Bath Trite. Fast forward to the 38th minute and watch Leicester throw in a, a line out not straight. Then two packs faff around for two minutes whilst Wayne Barnes has a chat with them to set one scrum. The scrum, the ball goes to the back. Chris Cook passed, uh, Falatau passes it at the feet of Chris Cook, who drops it. Half time whistle. <laughs> that was the quality of rugby. Um, very little for me to, to write. You were up about. on your feet and you thought, right, let's, uh, let's have another cue buster, shall yeah. we? <laughs> let's, yeah. drink, let's, let's, uh, let's drink away our sorrows here. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, we coughed up the ball 11 times um, in that first half, which is, which is shocking. And um, Stuart Hooper, um, who actually I think was. Um, about as this week has been as about as sort of outspoken as as we've seen him, and about as honest um, uh, in front of the media as we've seen him. He said that um, you know he he didn't hold back um, at half time with the players. Um, yeah, I think there was um, some some raised voices, and uh, I think sort of started by him. He was absolutely furious with that performance in the in the first half, and and rightly so to be honest because. Um, it was poor, and I think there was an element of we started so well, and then we also got we almost got sort of dragged down to mm. to Leicester's yeah. level. Um, I, I think they looked massively disjointed, um, and we just kind of got into um, you know a bit of a um, a bit of a sort of um, sort of stagnant um, uh, style of play in terms of our, our attack. We weren't really winning the collisions. Um, we looked tired at times, I thought as well, um, and it was just a very very grim. Um, performance all round and, and to be honest it, yeah grim spectacle mm, yeah it was and and did it get any better in the second half I think it had no. to get worse for it to get better maybe at the end and I think actually you know we, we did score a penalty to start the second half on the 45th minute to make it 8-3 Bath lead but then the next 15 to 20 minutes was was almost Leicester's best period of their season it felt like and uh, what, what, what did you put that down to Tom was it just they they started to win collisions because they were they they were growing in confidence? Was it the Josh Bayliss yellow card for collapsing the mall? Why did Leicester grow into that game and we began to fade in that second half? Yeah, so I think there was there was a key moment. Um, I think they were winning the collisions in the in the first half predominantly. Um, to be honest with you, so it's kind of continuation um, of that. We've spoken about how how important that is, but there was one key moment I think that um, kind of shifted the momentum going into that second half, and um, it was a box kick. Um, you know, slightly too long, uh, a box kick from Chris Cook. Um, Rocco Dugini was chasing up the right wing. Um, he was never getting to the ball, um, but he sort of jumped up early to compete with Toulouse Vianu. Um, he was in no position to, to get the ball or to make the tackle on Vianu as a result of sort of, um, you know, being airborne. Um, Vianu just had a, you know, had whole mm. sort of acres in front of him, um, went up the pitch sort of 40, 50 metres um, and... Um, they won the penalty from that or, or kicked it out. They got the line out um, on our five metre line. And ultimately, you know, Josh Bellis brought them all down for the for mm-hmm. the yellow card there. Um, I thought that was a key moment. You know, Rocco Daguni on um, his 150th um, appearance to the club. Um, and I thought he, you know, congratulations to him for that. And I thought he was trying to, he, he's really starting to get back to, um, to his best, to be honest. I think he's starting to look more dangerous. Um, but that was a um, that was a moment that he he kind of look, won't look back on particularly uh, fondly in the in the review um, today or tomorrow um, because I think that massive shift in momentum they were mm. camped down on our line for um, you know for for a decent amount of time to be honest and if it wasn't for sort of some some last ditch defending and really Leicester's inability to to use the 
backs at all. Mm. Um, they could have put a couple of tries on us, as other teams have done um, in sort of uh, you know in that period after first after half time. Yeah, I, I guess that's actually spot on, Tom. That we didn't play well for for about a 15, 20 minute period, and that's been the case for for the majority sort of, Ulster, of our games against Ulster, Claremont, uh, Gloucester. These games spring to mind where we go through funks in games where we're not playing well and and a proper good team, which Leicester aren't, uh, and I guess that's a positive that we can take, but Leicester certainly aren't and they were unable to to put us away. They had 65% possession uh, in the first 20 minutes of that first half and it did pay off with with Ben Ben White's try, but I think... Uh, on another day against another side, it could have been a lot more, and they they potentially could have been out of sight with with sort of two more or two more tries, yeah. and and that would have been game over the way that that we've been attacking. So I think luckily for us, they were unable to do that. And it wasn't really just that a ten or fifteen minute period; it was sort of a um, really half an hour until the Tom mm. Homer try on the um, on the seventieth minute. Um, which we'll come to. It was um, it was really poor. I think they had sort of 65-70% um, field position um, and, and possession uh, as well in that sort of first half an hour after half time. They were winning the collisions. Um, you know, we were disrupting their line out um, and, and getting ball back that way. But that was that was pretty much it. Mm. Um, and I think uh, you know even a slightly better team would have put um, you know three or four tries on us there mm. because we were just weren't at the races for yeah. for that period. Um, and you know sometimes. Um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a bollocking at halftime can um, can galvanise you and, and sort of get you up for it. But I think um, it clearly didn't have that effect on um, on the players in in you know in that instance. And um, yeah, it took a bit of magic um, from uh, from Tom Homer and Freddie Burns um, to to get that try and to get us back in the lead. Well, yeah, let, let, let's talk about that, Tom, because I don't really want to talk about that first half an hour, the, the second half, because it was was pretty dire from a Bath point of view. But then I think the, the the, the, the moment of highest quality in the game, uh, which ultimately sealed the game, was that pass from, yeah. from, from Freddie Burns. It is a fantastic pass. He, he recognises that, that we've got the overlap and they've narrowed up. And instead of going through the hands and allowing them to drift off and using the touchline as that extra defender to negate that overlap, mm. he fires it flat and fast. Perfect timing. For, for Homer to come onto it. And it's a fantastic finish from Homer, don't get me wrong. Weak defence from Veanu. But I think that pass from Burns cannot be overlooked. And and I think on a different day, had it been on BT Sport, for example, that part people would have made making a lot more of that pass. And I think that moment really decided the game from my point of yeah, view. Yeah, it would have been the Cipriani loving that we've just, seen yeah. so many times. Um we saw a similar pass from Elliot Stook last season. I remember which went um which went pretty much um, unnoticed at well but anyway I, yeah I won't talk about it anymore but um, uh, Zap Mercer uh, who was on commentary with BBC as I mentioned filling in for Alib Brew um, he was commentating on the game and um, yeah if you've not heard this uh, have a listen to um, how he um, how he called it because uh, yeah very very special commentary and if he um, you know he doesn't return from injury soon I think he can um, I think he'll have a job in media pretty soon after this yeah so this is Zach Mercer's extremely um, neutral view of Bath's winning <laughs> try against Leicester. Let's have a listen. Rockadagini, where's Rockadagini trying to go? Trying to go through people. I believe here, and if we keep Fizz here, we will get points. Alive. <laughs> and it's uh, Jack Walker. Just now keep Bath the ball. Need to be patient there, 30 metres from the Leicester try line. It's here we go, here we go, run. Madavisi, go, go, Who's that? Down the right-hand <laughs> flank into the 22. Bath recycled. Big carry. Come on, Jack Walker. <laughs> Good carry. Jack Walker is tackled. Shedley. Now it's Priestland trying to Bruce go directly. Bruce has tugged it up the jumbo and said, come at me. <laughs> Shedley recycling it. Now it's right. Here we go. Burns goes out wide. Here we go. Tommy Homer. Oh, yes. Tommy Homer. Wonderful score by Tommy Homer. Get that into you. Get that into you. That was a good try. In at the corner. Awarded. And uh, no, is he saying? Is he awarding it? Is he saying yes? He's got to award it. And uh, well, we're going as Willie Mercer says, award the try. There's no TMO here because. Yeah, so fantastic work from Zach. And uh, I, I didn't think that he could do anything in rugby better than he plays it. But um, a future in, in commentary 
uh, maybe for, for, for Zach Mercer. You know, Hugo Monye's somehow got a gig doing that every week for, <laughs> for, for when he watches Harlequins. So uh, maybe BT will sign you up as well, Zach. But no, in all seriousness, fantastic. And um, although it isn't obviously uh, a neutral at all, I think every Bath fan uh, will love to hear that. The passion from the player uh, is absolutely evident there. Yeah, I think if we ever say that, you know, sometimes the players look um, disinterested and sometimes they, you know, they might appear to, but... Um, just listening to that, it's clear that it means you know as much, if not more, um, to them um, as it does to us. It's their careers, it's their livelihoods, um, and it's their sort of day to day. So uh, yeah, brilliant stuff from Zach Mercer. Um, apparently, the the mood in the dressing room, despite the performance, was really buoyant after. I think coming out on the the right side of that victory, particularly with, with losing um, Bayliss and and sort of weathering that that Leicester storm, um, mm. which we did, um, you know, showed a lot of character. Um, if nothing else, and um, yeah, with with the guys missing in particular, I think um, I, I think I think the boys should be proud of themselves, really. Yeah, and I guess it's important to point out that that last season we came on the wrong side of these close games, and stuff went our went against us at the end, and now that's two home games in a row in the Premiership against Sale and against Leicester, where it's tight. It's not the best game of rugby, but ultimately we've got the victory. And hopefully, 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 when we look back and review our season, it will be moments like this uh, where we're not playing as well as we should be, uh, but we're still winning that, that, that will determine the fact that we've done OK in the Premiership. Um, a few more thoughts for me on this game time. I recognise you want to keep it a little briefer on the, the, the review of the game this week because we've got a lot of off the field stuff to touch on. Um, but just firstly, a quick word from you on the scrummage. Uh, Christian Judge, first premiership start for Bath, obviously with Will Stewart being called up to the England squad. Mm-hmm. How do you think uh, Judge got on and what was your assessment of the scrum as a whole? I think uh, we, well, we did really well on the scrum. Um, it was it was always going to be a, a, a key battle, you know, Dan Cole, um, whereas his, his, you know, his best days from an international point of view are, are probably behind him. Um, he came out clearly with a bit of a, um, a bee in his bonnet um, having not been included in the in the England squad, um, potentially wanting to make a um, you know a bit of a statement um, against Bath and against Benno Abano, and as usual, Benno was well up to the task. Um, I thought he was he was absolutely fantastic yet again. Some of the shots that he put in on the gain line um, for a start were were brilliant, but also just he's so solid um, in the scrum. And if we you know in seasons gone by, we'd have had one. Um, kind of work on for him it was just that he needed to be slightly slightly better against against the top tight heads mm. um, in the league and and um, he acquitted himself really well um, Chris and Judge as well I think um, it's an interesting one with him because some stuff I see him do and I think um, you know there there is definitely some quality about him mm. um, he's it's definitely um, a talented rugby player he, he plays with his head up um, you know he's he's got good hands. Um, he's often um, kind of involved in the little half breaks that we see, um, but then at times he just seems to go missing a little bit and uh, and is slightly anonymous. So I think it's just for him about becoming a little bit more consistent. Um, you know I think sometimes he can he can switch off. I remember there was one kind of tackle on on Ben White around the fringes where he um, he was just basically just not watching um, his, you know his side of the the ruck and, and missed him there. So it's just those little things he needs to sharpen up. And I think once he does that, um, he's clearly a strong scrummager. He's clearly um, a talented player. I think if he does that, he'll um, uh, you know he'll really blossom into a player. But you've got to remember he is our third choice mm. uh, tight head in the squad. So. Um, I, you know, there probably aren't that many clubs with with that mm. quality in, in their third choice position. But, but a big few weeks for him as well, Tom. He is our third choice in the pecking order. Mm. He's potentially going to be our first choice now for a number of games. So yeah, I think it's important for him to to build up a partnership now with Abano in these next few weeks. Yep. We've spoken about how those those partnerships for the props is really important. Uh, hopefully, with, with with having to play together over the next couple of weeks, he, he, he'll build on that. Um, just one point, finally, well, a couple of points from me, Tom. The first one's on, on Tolupe Falatau. Mm. And, and I think we should have a little chat about his performance on Saturday. And first, it was great to see him playing, released uh, from the Wales squad to, to get a bit of game time, I guess. And um, I don't know, with Falatau, there were glimpses on Saturday where, where he does things and you're like, you can see why you are, you know, potentially the best player in our squad on your day 
one of the best number eights in the world. The interception when, when Ben White made that half break and he just snuffed out yeah. that possible attack. There was one fantastic offload uh, from, from him as he was going to floor and just scooped it up perfectly for, for Tom Homer. Um, but at the end of the day, he was, for me, easily the best player in terms of his, his quality on the pitch on Saturday. Uh, and, and, and that just didn't show at times. And I just wish he kind of just grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. Do you know what I mean? And just he does things, moments which are really good, but he never just overtakes a game for Bath and, and puts the team on the back and saying, you know, follow me. I'm the number eight here and I'm going to win you this game. And I just kind of wish that, that sometimes he would do that because he is, you know, one of our most important players. And on a, day, on a game like on Saturday when, you know, there's a lot of errors, it's not really going our way. It would just be fantastic if he, if he could just put the team on our back. We've seen Zach Mercer do it for us in the past and, and just carry us through. So, yeah. so I guess whilst there were glimpses of, of world-class quality, I just wish he'd grab a game and, and, and just win it for us. Yeah, and I think he, he showed he can do that in the past. You know, you think back to mm. um, that first um, clash at Twickenham mm. um, when he... Um, sort of made that break and, and and offloaded to Anthony Watson and 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 you know really got us back in the game and ultimately we were we were unstoppable for that so we certainly done it for us yeah. for us in the past um, I think I, I'll say a couple of things so um, he did put himself about um, mm-hmm. potentially not in the usual Falatau, um you know manner where he grabs the headlines and um, you know he, he's featuring heavily in all the highlight reels not that there'll be many highlights <laughs> from that particular game um, you know he made 19 tackles and didn't miss a tackle didn't miss a single one. Um, mm-hmm. a couple of nice offloads and, and nice glimpses and I think the other thing is you know he's played so little rugby um, 237 minutes this season um, and only 399 minutes last season mm-hmm. um, total rugby um, uh, across all competitions so it's not a lot and yeah. I think <clears throat> you know it was a physical game against Leicester um, at times um, it resembled um, you know, sort of those uh, those dreadful kind of heavyweight boxing fights that you see um, when after about, you know, after about two rounds, they're just knackered and leaning on each other um, and just trying to slug it out for, for the remainder of the of the 12 rounds. And at times it kind of it felt a little bit like that, um, which is not his game. We know that. Yeah. But so I think he did put himself about. Um, he, he clearly did. He went off with a with a bit of a knock, um, although although he's fine, um, thankfully. Um, but he's not very much rugby. He's potentially not fully fit hence why Wayne Pivak's let him out to get to get more time um, in, in club colours um, and you know let's just keep him fit um, let's just get him some um, you know some some bit more bit of game time hopefully but not too much game time for, for Wales get him playing top level rugby again um, and I think uh, you know any sort of criticism or, or doubts you have about him will be a distant memory if he gets back to anywhere near his best yeah that, that's probably right I, I just guess watching it I just kind of wanted to to, 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 for him just to overtake it but you are right about his, his, his lack of rugby recently yes. just my final point yeah, on, on. on the game Tom and it's another premiership game for Bath where we don't got over 22 points um, <laughs> so this season the points we've scored in all games uh, we've scored 16-13 22 22-22 16-9 12-17 26-38 against London Irish uh, 16, 15, 19, 15, 13. It's an average of 18 points this season, Tom. And bear in mind, Reese Priestland is the second top point scorer in the league with 90 points. To average 18 points in a game, you're not going to win enough games of rugby to have a, a very successful season. And you're not going to get bonus points uh, doing that. And bonus points are going to be key in such a congested league. Yeah, basically, I think when when you're scoring so few points and, and so few tries, as you said, essentially what you're banking on is that the opposition play badly, because it only takes a couple of moments, as we've seen so many times, a couple of um, you know glimpses of magic or or, or, or nice back moves for um, a team to get a couple of tries in quick succession, um, and then if you just don't have the scoring power, you just you just can't compete. You can't just kick penalties to get yourself back in the game when you're playing against teams with um, with that kind of attacking threat. So it's not good enough. Um, but I, I, you know, um, I think there's a couple of things. I think Hooper is sort of giving the right noises now about starting to want to to play with with more intent. Um, I think that was probably part of his frustration was that we have got players um, who want to go out and score tries, who want to um, get those bonus points um, victories, and I think that Leicester was probably one where we should have done that. Mm. Um, particularly after the the start we had, so it's clearly a massive frustration, um, and I think that you know, um, Gervin Dempsey obviously working very very hard behind the scenes, 
Um, but we're still really not seeing um, much that's going to worry the best defences in the league. Um, and, and Leicester certainly are not one of them, but they were able to, to snuff out attacks. And the only reason we really scored was um, A, that first try, because they were probably caught cold. And B, because there was that sort of one-on-one missed tackle from Vianu. Otherwise, we didn't really threaten their defence. So um, it is worrying. I think the, the point I'll throw back to you, G, um, and obviously we, we touched on this last week, just around um, Saracens and around um, them being relegated now, is that now all clubs um, are kind of looking up. Um, it's essentially an experiment for ring fencing. This season, I think it gives the opportunity both for clubs to start to play some of their younger guys, um, to start to look towards next season, um, and also to to, to start um, trying to play a bit more rugby. Um, you know, there there's no sort of um, I guess sort of uh, need now to be looking downwards to be trying to um, grind up those victories quite in the same way. So um, I'd hope that potentially that will also mean that there's kind of a slight shift. Um, in mentality, both in terms of selection um, from a Bath point of view, but also in terms of um, attacking intent, because, um, you know, I understand the the strategy of just trying to kick points the whole time and trying mm. to grind out victories. But um, I think now um, we really need to be looking upwards, but also to, to, to next season um, with a view of trying to develop our game a little bit more now that that risk is removed. And I agree, Tom, but I, I had this discussion briefly with Andrew on, on last week's podcast. And, and just to play devil's advocate with, with what he came back to me, and, and he argued that Stuart Hooper's come under a little bit of pressure in, in his first season. I, I think that's fair to say because the results and the performances probably haven't sparked the, 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 the imagination, caught the imagination of a lot of Bath fans. And so is Hooper going to want to take the risk of playing younger guys, throwing out his, his, his more conservative playbook just because we can't go down? And what if we did finish 11th? Would, would, would he therefore feel like his job was potentially at risk? So, so do you think that he's just going to say, well, I'm just going to do what I'd always planned to do because, because changing it now would be counterproductive? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, think, um, I don't think there's any serious risk of, of, of finishing 11th, to be honest. I think we, um, even on a, a bad day, um, you know, uh, as as was Saturday in terms of our, our performance, we are better than than Leicester. We're you know we're, we're better than London Irish as as we saw at the Majeski. Um, so I don't necessarily doubt that there's a risk. I'm not talking about um, completely rip it up and start again. I'm just talking to, about certain changes, um, you know, to selection potentially looking um, to be slightly more ambitious. And ultimately, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have a, a really good idea of what our squad next season is going to look like. And I think that, um, to be honest, I'd like to see um, us look to that slightly and to start getting guys um, guys involved. Mm. Um, you know, we've spoken. I've been quite um, bullish in terms of Freddie Burns this season, um, and you know, I, I would really like to to have seen him given a go at ten um, and a string of games at ten. To be honest, um, it, it's probably no secret um, on the rumor mill that. Um, he um, has been in talks with Wasps for next season. Um, I understand <laughs> that that is um, signed and sealed and will be announced in the next week or so. Um, and I think part of it's born out of the fact that he hasn't been getting game time and he's at fly half and he's frustrated by that. So for me, um, we need to look to De Glanville now. Um, we need to look to, to get those younger guys involved um, to invest um, slightly in next season and to... Um, and you know, tell me a Bath fan that wouldn't like to wouldn't like to see that. To be honest, Stuart Hooper because he doesn't want to lose his job. Um, yeah, well, well, he might be losing his job coming well, on to. Well, well yeah, uh, we're going to come on to that um, a little bit later. Let, let's wrap up that that Leicester game, Tom. You know, one to forget, but as I say, hopefully four points bagged, uh, which will be hopefully crucial. Top six in our top four or top six. Uh, fight come the end of the season um, where do you want to go next Tom should we go to the England squad so uh, six Bath players included in, in Eddie Jones's latest England squad for the upcoming six nations Will Stewart Tom Dunn Charlie or Sam Underhill Jonathan Joseph and Anthony Watson firstly congratulations thank you very much Will Stewart in there uh, deservedly so uh, all, all six of them deservedly so in your mind yeah absolutely um, you know we 
we spoke about it. And I think um, there's been a lot of, of press following the, the announcement thing that's got around Northampton Saints and um, some of um, those guys that have been, um, the younger guys there that have been included and how that reflects on Chris Boyd and how that reflects on them as a club. Um, I think the fact that Bath have done really well out of um, out, out of this uh, this EPS squad has, has slightly flown under the radar. So, um, you know, I, I think we should make that point. You know, we are um, looking across Europe um, one of the top contributors to Six Nations, mm. um, the, the Six Nations competition. Um, and obviously you've got those teams, Glasgow and, and Leinster in particular, that make up a vast, vast amount of those Scotland and, and Irish teams respectively. Um, so yeah, it's, it's brilliant from a Bath perspective. Some of those guys as well um, have really um, improved and found their feet at Bath, Joseph, um, Watson, Underhill um, um, in particular, but also Will Stewart. You know, he's he's come from Wasps. No one really... Um, knew who he was at that point. Um, he's he's come in. He's he's played a lot of game time um, with Henry Thomas injured, um, and he massively, massively deserves his mm. spot. And I think um, if he can perform well at this, um, you know, the, these camps that they've got on the moment, um, I think it's a pretty close call at the moment between him and him and Harry Williams. If he can get himself um, into that. Um, into that uh, uh, double or triple XL 18 jersey um, for England, um, people will really start to see um, how good he is um, at top level. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, he should be really proud of himself, I think. Yeah, I I don't think there's one, just picking up on your point there about the coaching and and, and whilst they're not all Bath Academy guys, uh, not one of them joined Bath when they were... uh, 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 an England international. You you, you look at uh, Underhill, JJ, and Watson, and Stewart. You know, whilst none of them um, came through the academy, as I say, they all joined Bath and then got picked for England. And I think that is a reflection of you know some quite astute uh, recruitment work, but yeah. also the, the the coaching. And I think that that shouldn't be lost here. And whilst it is sometimes scr- Bath fans scratch their head because. We've got six guys in the England squad, yet the performances probably don't reflect that. I think it is important to note, as you do, Tom, that that that, that the coaching is going somewhere with with certain number of players, and also that it is an attractive prospect for these um, for, for 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 players that are on the fringes of England squads and with England aspirations to come to Bath because we've got such a track record of yeah. converting fringe England players and England um, aspiring England players into. Uh, actual England players yeah uh, I think that's important to know and, and the two we haven't mentioned and to be honest the two that we um, didn't include as, as sort of likely guys to um, to make the squad last week was um, Tom Dunn and and Charlie Yules both of whom obviously have been involved in the club from um, a young age and um, you know we've heard kind of story of um, Tom Dunn switching across from from loose head prop and the impact that that Toby Booth um, had on that transition and on 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 his career so um, massive congratulations to to Tom Dunn. He's an absolute favourite um, yeah. on this podcast. Well, both of them friends of the podcast. Well, exactly. We interviewed both of them. So, uh, oh, yeah, is, that, bit... is that a chicken and egg, do you reckon? Yeah, uh, I, I don't, don't know. know, Eddie James. <laughs> Good to have you on board, Eddie. Um, but well, no, no, I was going to say, I feel yeah, bad that I didn't, um, you know, I didn't mention Tom Dunn as an absolute shoo-in for this EPS squad but with Jack Singleton having been um, the clear third choice in the last year or so um, and also with Jones at times selecting just two hookers for for the wider squad I thought potentially it wouldn't happen but there were some um, some great stats G that um, Sam Lana um, tweeted and um, follow him if you don't because um, if you love your 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 stats and and your and your numbers when it comes to rugby he he puts out some really good content um, and it was just looking at the stats um, of the uh, eight England uncapped players mm-hmm. um, and sort of the relative um, the relative stats between them um, and Tom Dunn really stands out of the eight mm-hmm. of them um, so he makes the most uh, tackles uh, per eighty minutes um, out of all of them. Um, 17 tackles um, in all forms uh, this season. Um, you know, um, he's the lowest of the eight in terms of missed tackles as well. He only misses one um, out of every 15.1 tackles. Um, he makes the third most offloads mm. out of all the uncapped players. Um, and, you know, obviously there's those uh, Northampton backs that everyone's speaking so highly of. But, um, you know, get Tom Dunn on the end of, the, <laughs> on the end of those attacking moves. Um, and he also makes the second um, uh, most amount of carries uh, per game, so 10.7 uh, carries. And when you think that not all of the cap players, uncapped players, are 
um, involved in top flight European rugby this season. That becomes mm. um, all the more impressive. So massive congratulations to um, to Tom Dunn. Um, hopefully he gets um, you know that that senior uh, cap that he's he's yet to get um, uh, in the Six Nations because um, he's been massively industrious. He's really um, puts his heart and soul into into the club every single week, and um, yeah, he really deserves it. Yeah, I think that, that that's actually really interesting stats there, Tom. And every, every week it seems like we, we we rave about Tom Dunn's statistical performance. But I think it, it's much more than that for Bath now. Whilst he is putting in loads of tackles, loads of carries, mm. never missing a tackle, I think his leadership this season is, is really coming forward and, and, and he's becoming a key player for Bath and absolutely deserved to, to get called out for England. And, and whilst it's a bit of a catch-22 for Bath fans yeah. when, when people get called out for England from, from my point of view to see those guys get the just deserves for their hard work for Bath is, is, is what it's all about and so yeah really really pleased for, for those guys and, and all joking aside actually when we, we did have the, the absolute pleasure of meeting Tom Dunn and Charlie Yules for, for interviews they were, they were both really really uh, good to us so um, yeah fantastically uh, proud I guess is probably not the right word but just <laughs> pleased for, for them and, and all, all involved with, with the club and hopefully they can get a bit of game time and show uh, the, the England coaches and the England supporters just what quality players they are because this isn't sort of picking people as a pat on the back this is picking people with, with a view to playing hopefully yeah. so, so, so hopefully they, they get an opportunity although rumours flying round about um, potentially that the squad will rotate in quite a major way sort of halfway through the, mm. the campaign during that rest, rest week so um, whether or not that happens obviously um, remains to be seen. This is a bit of a um, you know a refresh though for for Eddie Jones and and for the England squad with the you know some key guys, some senior guys missing out. So um, what better opportunity now to make to stamp your authority to mm. um, to get on Eddie Jones's radar because um, you know this squad now um, is not it's not set and forget. They're subject to change and there's also subject for to to make a make a name for yourself. Um, do you want to say? I was just going to, you know, with my countable prediction, obviously um, <laughs> coming through. I've, I've just got another one, G, that I'm going to, to I'm going to pile on top, and you know, it's the, um, you know, the rise of Will Stewart. I think is going to continue here. I think I've, I could not be more impressed with him since he's come in. Obviously, um, you know, having played a little bit of tight head myself, <laughs> um, I'm always massively biased to to the big boys up front. Um, uh, yeah, he's just been brilliant, as I've said, and um, he for me. Um, if you think Carl Sinclair um, uh, was a bolter four years ago, um, the the next accountable prediction is I think that Will Stewart G will um, will be included as a bit of a bolter for Warren Gatlin's Lions squad oh. for South Africa next year. <laughs> um, I think he's got it. He's got all the attributes. I thought you were going to say he's going to sign a two-year, one million pound deal, but uh... what with with Bristol? But then he'd, <laughs> then, then he'd have to give up all his England commitments because they're the only squad. Do you know you know that, don't you? I do. The yeah. only the only. Oh, it's nice to get this in. I was going to get this in anyway, but you know, thanks for setting me up. The only team in the Premiership, um, uh, well, and Newcastle in the Championship as well, without representation in um, in Eddie Jones' EPS. So, uh, um, yeah, small victory uh, ultimately <laughs> at this point against Bristol because um, having hammered us Ashton Gate and being a place ahead of us in the table still. But uh, we'll take anything we can get as far as that's concerned. Yeah, Eddie clearly knows what he's doing, Tom. Uh, where, where do you want to go next then? Uh, I think we'll go to um, uh, the, the, the Premiership loophole oh, that, yeah. that, that was kind of reported this week so um a bit of a strange one this but i think in in the wake of the saracen's salary cap news people have been trying to i don't know I, I guess it's just people looking a bit more deeply at everything else that's going on to see if there are any other areas that that, that need punishing need looking at and, and and as a result of this it was revealed in an article uh, that that some clubs including bath have been exploiting a loan loophole to to allow them yeah. to, to 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 potentially go over the salary cap in 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 a legal way do you want to shed a bit of light onto this for for me and maybe for a few of the other listeners that that didn't quite get their head around yeah that? i think i think you know not to spend too much time on this because um i think it has been slightly misinterpreted or or misreported um, to be honest, I mean the so the the mechanics of it are that, um, well, basically what what the article said was that um, clubs were loaning out six out of the twelve clubs um, was as it was reported were loaning out players um, so that they then don't count towards the the salary cap for for a given year. 
Um, now that's only really partially true, true, and sort of the way it works is that you get you get several dispensations. Um, so for things like academy players, academy credits, which has been widely spoken about, um, international players, mm. um, and the third one is an injury dispensation pot, um, which is four hundred thousand um, pounds per year, and every club has that. Um, available to them and the reason you have that is because obviously you get long-term injuries um, the the sort of salary regulations define a long-term injury as sort of 12 weeks or more mm. um, and so what you're able to do essentially is loan out up to three players during the season um, which you can then recall if you get those long-term injuries in those those certain positions right. um, because otherwise you're in a position where you're caught short um, you can't field a team or you have to play people out of position um, or find people from other clubs or whatever. And you can't you can't always do that, particularly, um, you know, um, uh, if, it, if it's kind of mid-season and, and not in January. So um, the three players in question for this season who were technically um, long-term injury cover were Matt Garvey, um, Lucas Naguera and Mike Williams. Um, the three of them got, got loaned out. Um, but then obviously with the, the injuries that we've had, so Naguera obviously coming back when Nathan Cat was injured um, and with Miles Reed then injured at the start of the season, Mike Williams was then recalled from um, from Yorkshire Carnegie where he was on loan. Um, we're well within our rights to do that. Um, it's you know it's, it's stipulated within the salary cap um, regulations. And the, you know, the thing is as well that you have to clear um, that arrangement um, uh, up over 28 days before the start of the season everything has to be agreed and audited um, by um, Premier Rugby and by the salary cap manager mm. um, Stuart Hooper again was um, much less reticent in his in his defence of this <laughs> than he has been um, with the media at times um, he quashed it straight away and said it's agreed with the salary cap manager um, we're completely in our rights to do it we exercise it given the injuries we've had um, and um, so it's all completely above board the clubs continue to be audited every year um, yeah nothing to see there cool nothing to worry about then uh, for, for Bath fans and for, for Stuart Hooper maybe something else for Stuart Hooper to feel a little bit worried about Tom I'm not sure how much I'm going to read into this at the moment but uh, a tweet to set it up from Frank Rigdon uh, at Bath Rugby Plug he tweeted us saying rumours of Joe Smith being strongly linked with joining the club. Can you discuss whether this is very good news or very good news indeed? <laughs> um, I guess it's being reported by Midi Olympique in yeah. France that, that he is, uh, I don't know, in talks, in, in negotiations or, or Bath are interested or there's an interest there. Uh, what do you kind of where where do you see this? Do you, do you buy this? Do you, can you see this having legs, or or is it kind of just speculation? I think it's very much speculation at, at this point. You know, if you if you read the article um, itself, it's fairly vague um, of any um, of, of any facts or any sort of concrete evidence for it. Um, you know, Joe Schmidt obviously after the um, kind of the bitty disappointing Irish campaign in, in the World Cup, I think wanted some time. Um, out of rugby, wanted some time to spend time with his with his family as well, um, and he said that he kind of didn't really intend to to come back to to the game in the short term. But he also said that um, you know he'd been inundated um, as you'd probably expect mm. um, with the coach of his quality with um, with offers with um, you know with, with talks from various clubs um, of which Bath apparently um, is one. But um, you know I, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hammer you know uh, pin my hopes on it. You know, in particular at this stage. That said, um, I think it would be um, a really good appointment if we we're able to, to to get that across the line. I think um, I'm not sure what capacity he would he would sit under. Whether it would be um, uh, almost as a you know as Brendan Vent has done in the past as sort of a consultant who comes mm. in and, and looks at what you're doing. Whether he comes in as a um, as sort of a head coach, um, and then Stuart Hooper kind of moves more to a a DOR, obviously with his knowledge of the club his respect from the players he would handle the more um, administrative and, and, and sort of contractual stuff mm. um, and then um, uh, Schmidt would handle the the media handle the the coaching um, and obviously his experience with that as they do at, at Gloucester mm. um, uh, and, and as, gonna, as well with that structure and they're going to do with Leicester when when Borthwick yes, comes in exactly. after the Six Nations but I was kind of under the impression Tom that that, that was the, the the structure anyway that Hooper was more of a general manager director of rugby like uh, Humphreys is at yep. Gloucester and then you've got Dempsey and Hatley as the head coaches and so I'd really query as to where 
Smith would fit into all that and whether there would have to be an outgoing to allow this ingoing. And I, I'd be really reticent to, 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 for that to happen in mid-season. And I think if it was well, to happen... It's not going to mid-season. Okay, yeah, no. okay. So if it was to happen in the summer, I yeah. think it would have to be made clear as to, to, to the structure there because I think once that structure, which in my mind at the moment is really clear with Hooper at the top mm-hmm. and then two head coaches below them... That is, in my mind, clear now. And I think when it starts to become unclear, as it did with Gary Gold and Mike Ford, Mm -hmm. I think that's where your problems can potentially lie. So, yeah, there's no doubting he's a fantastic coach, a fantastic, uh, I guess, international director of rugby, kind of is what he did at at, at Ireland to to great success. So it would be interesting to see where he'd fit into all that. But I just think that... (sighs) I think that I would be keen to to kind of give this give this a go, keep giving this a go, and, yeah. and and I think if he was to come in, I wouldn't want him muddying any waters. I'd want him potentially replacing a, a role there. But yeah, I don't think we quite have the same setup as Gloucester, right? Because um, Rowan Ackerman deals with everything, right? He deals with the media. He's mm. um, he's very much um, you know he is a, he is the head coach there. Um, whereas David Humphreys, you don't really hear too much from. You feel like his role is very much um, sort of back office and, and and sorting out those those contracts and um, you know and, and uh, you know as the main point of contact with the board and um, and the owner etc. Um, whereas Stuart Hooper, I feel like he's very much um, almost in between those two things. You know, he is down on the playing field. He is talking to to players on match day. Um, he is giving the team talk at, at, at before the match and at half time. He is talking to the media, um, and I think. If, for whatever reason, the club thought they could get their hands on on Joe Schmidt and thought that they could move Hooper purely into that sort of um, back office role, then um, potentially there'd be be a role for him. But I also take your point that you know there are two very experienced guys who've come in um, to you know from their perspective as head coaches mm. and you know going forwards in terms of their career will want to be head coaches themselves mm. so um you know will neil hatley be be happy having been involved with with england to have joe smith just come out you know come in and and kind of assume assume authority over him um you know obviously joe schmidt and um and uh Gervin dempsey have worked together mm. um at leinster um so you know there's I guess there'd be that that benefit, and if we just speculate, you know, for a moment as well about what Joe Schmidt brought to Ireland um, when they were in their pomp, um, and that was just um, a ruthless structure to everything they did. Um, they were brutal. You, they just followed their processes, trusted their processes, um, and were very very ruthless um, when they were on their peak. Obviously, beating New Zealand twice. Um, he's got some pedigree as a coach, and I think if he, for whatever reason, um, wanted a change, wanted to come down to the West Country, um, I think it'd be very difficult um, for for Bath to, to not to pursue that. Yeah, but then is it just pursuing it because he's available instead of pursuing it because there's a need there? Mm. And I think it would be very difficult for Hooper to to take more of a back seat given the the, the prominent role he's got now. So I think it would be. It, it, I think it would be very, very difficult for, for Smith to come in uh, and nothing to nothing to change, no one to go out or no one's um, feathers to be ruffled by it and therefore cause a disruption. So although I agree he's a, a fantastic coach, I think I wouldn't want to do it because he's available. I'd want to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and I think that would be the key here. So, um, yeah, if there is any truth to it, then, then I would be... I'm interested. Um, I would think, yeah, but I would, I would, I would think twice about it because I, I don't want to, I don't want to do something for the sake of, for the sake of he's available. I want to do it because it's exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I and think sometimes you don't know, um, you know, sort of what the opportunity is until it presents yourself. And um, I think for whatever reasons, they could have open and honest discussions with Hooper, with Hatley, with Dempsey about what the structure would be, um, and agree that. Um, and you know whether he comes in sort of more on a part-time basis as a consultant. You know, mm. um, I, you know he's spoken about wanting a break from rugby. So whether he wants to come straight back into the fray of being a full-time coach, he might not do. Um, but I think if his, um, you know, uh, his expertise um, is available, I think he could do um, he could do brilliant things for for a club like Bath. So um, mm. yeah, I think it's very kind of um, you know weak in terms of um, any concrete fact or, or evidence at this stage, but. 
Um, you know, certainly I think my overriding emotion was one of excitement when I saw that potentially um, it was on the cards as, and, and, you know, looking down social media, I think yeah. um, it looks like kind of most Bars fans are, <laughs> are echoing that. Yeah, I think so. I think from my point of view, it does feel like 12, 10 months too late. And if he was available when Blackadder left, he mm. would be just the guy to come in and steady that ship. So, uh, yeah, one to, to watch. And, and I think if he did... Uh, take the reins I'd probably be pretty excited ultimately uh, any other points um, Tom you want to bring up just around the game um, any other off the field on the field stuff um, you, you've got written down well I was just having a, a quick look through um, through social media so mm. um, Frank Rigdon again tweeted us um, to say how about the possibility of Spencer Lazowski inspiring the back line for um, next season um, and you know it's not news for us uh, Frank <laughs> we um, you know we spoke about Lazowski um, admittedly in in speculative terms um, before the Saracens news of relegation had been um, had been broken um, and I think I, I, you know I, my, my position hasn't changed on that he played um, well he was one of the shining lights I thought on um, on Sunday for them in in um, you know in a terrible result for them against Quinns um, he's a brilliant player um, I think he will want to be playing um, 10. I think he's inventive enough. Um, I think having Spencer come in with him to do the kicking, maybe take that responsibility off his shoulders um, as well. Um, and, you know, we've spoken about um, the, the the good relationship that Bath have with England, the good record Bath mm. have with England. Um, and whereas the top um, Saracens players, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the rumour is they will be staying at Saracens um, along with the really inexperienced guys who obviously don't um, command that much um, in, in terms of salary. Um, it's really these middle tier guys at Saracens that um, are looking to, to to be leaving and what that looks like in terms of a loan um, or in terms of, um, you know, a longer term deal is obviously really important as we discussed last mm. week. Um, but for me, the um, idea of, of Lazowski, the idea of Spencer, um, Maylins as well um, very exciting and I think that's the kind of thing particularly with Burns departing at the end of the season um, that could really um, get Bath fans excited and, and, and get that backline firing yeah I think so Tom I, I think we're kind of in footstep here but I, I do feel like it's bubbling away but there's not been that much concrete to suggest uh, that, that any sort of deal has been done. So uh, I think next week, actually, with, with there being no game next week, we'll have, we'll have another proper look at it, look at uh, how realistic it is to get these guys. Mm. Uh, and also, as you mentioned at the start, look at the, the stadium for Bath and all other yeah, off well, the I'm, field. I imagine uh, there'll be news by then. Yeah. Um, and, and I hope there will be because... Um, sorry, just one more thing on, mm. on, on this. And um, Toby Elliott kind of um, made the point on Twitter... Um, around this but it's, it's been a source of frustration in the past and it's just around rumours um, and around ultimately how you know successful we've been in, in signing these guys um, you think back to Andre Pollard um, he's the one that really wrangles in in recent times um, uh, the, with that saga last season um, you know how often that we've we failed to get these guys across the line and ultimately we've probably just been used um, as a tool by agents to, to bid up their their players prices and um, and, and and how frustrating that's been. So really hope um, we're you know we're, we're in the market for this and we're um, we're we're approaching this in the right way because um, you know Stuart Hooper's been quite open with the the Saracen situation has presented an opportunity. It's massive for for the club staying in the Premiership. Um, we've done great business so far, um, and if we can top that off with a couple of um, a couple of signings of those guys and some further contract renewals. Um, it'll be a very, very successful January. Mm. Yeah, fingers crossed. There'll be a bit more news, which we will touch on next week in the podcast. Just finally then, Tom, before we go, uh, and, and a positive thing to end on this week, uh, and that is the um, friend of the podcast, Jill, is doing something absolutely fantastic this summer. So, so, so Jill's an incredible woman. She's had uh, six spinal surgeries including three spinal fusions i think i think that's right um from 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 quite a, a young age uh, and so she's decided to to do a a cycle ride from sandy park uh going to all of the the current premiership clubs 
finishing uh, on the 20th of June at the Premiership final at Twickenham. Uh, Jill's pretty glad that, that Newcastle went down <laughs> last season, that's for sure. But over 600 miles that she's doing, uh, raising money for, for Restart Rugby, for the Henry Bissell Spinal Research Fund and for the Christians Against Poverty Fund. And this was kind of inspired, I think, uh, after the injury to, to Michael Fatialofa, which we touched on in the podcast and really got a lot of Bath, uh, a lot of rugby fans and a lot of, uh, of rugby players thinking about this, the serious injuries that can occur. And Jill was well first in those injuries and those surgeries so yeah a real incredible thing that she's doing and um if you want to find out a little bit more about this or even be so kind as donating to this then then do visit her her just giving page uh, you'll be able to find it um if you search uh, jill premiership rugby big ride 2020 into just giving or, or kind of words to that effect i'm sure you'll be able to find it and there's loads more information about the charities about the the cycle ride and about everything else to do with this but um a really great cause i think everyone will agree yeah. so yeah i was gonna say i will we'll tweet out the yeah um the link we'll put it on um all our social media uh channels i think you know the great thing about about rugby and, and it was brought out in the in the fatty loafa um, uh, the fatty loafer, uh, you know, surgery and, and, and fallout from, from that injury and um, was just that the rugby family sort of can get together and do get together behind these, um, these sorts of things. And, um, you know, um, absolutely incredible cause, um, and incredible, um, woman for, you know, Jill able to, uh, cycle, I can barely cycle, um, to work <laughs> in the morning. So to cycle around all the premiership clubs is, is absolutely fantastic, um, you know, you hear all these stories about rugby players who suffer long-term injuries, um, who one moment are running out in in front of thousands of people, and the next um, can't ever um, lace up the boots again. So fantastic um, from Jill um, for for an absolutely brilliant cause, and um, let's all uh, get behind her as a Bath family and um, and donate and um, and help her get round um, get around all the Premiership grounds. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, a nice one to end on this week, Tom, and uh, a, a, a victory for Bath, which. You know, shouldn't be forgotten. Victories against Leicester only come twice a season at the moment. So uh, <laughs> let, let's make the most of them. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did enjoy the podcast or had any opinions about it, please get in touch with us at Bath Rugby Plug on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Bath Rugby Plug at gmail.com. Tom's on that one. So uh, I'm sure if you email that, you'll uh, get a, a reply uh, within minutes. Because uh, Within the season. <laughs> within the season, but no please do get in touch with us uh, because you know it is by the fans for the fans and at the end of the day your thoughts are just as important as ours uh, a couple of weeks off enjoy the six nations uh, let your heart get a bit of a rest from from the up and down turmoil that is being a bath fan but stick behind the boys through thick and thin